0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the House of Mario, the award-winning Nintendo podcast, backed by a 120 Power Star rating. I'm your host this week, Bryce DeWitt, and the doors to episode 166 are open. This week, guys, hate to be a downer, but it's going to be a short one. Uh, Drew and I are both extremely busy people at the moment. Uh, He's currently shearing at his family's farm. And because of this and because of the good days we've got at the moment for shearing, he's had to pump up to about 11 there most of the day and through the night. So, unfortunately, yeah, he's pretty unavailable and it's Melbourne Cup week as well, which makes both my jobs very, very busy uh, just because, for whatever reason, horse races are important. I mean, sure, if you're into it. Um, Essentially, this week, basically, it's just going to be talking about the news, and then on top of that, a little bit of discussion on the Age of Calamity Chapter 1 demo that was released, and my thoughts, my expectations for the game, and what I currently want. Uh, I know Pikmin was released this week. Unfortunately, guys, uh, if you're looking forward to hearing about Pikmin stuff, I don't think Drew or I are going to cover it at all, unfortunately. Um, We just don't have the time. Or you know expenditure, I suppose, to sort of invest in Pikmin at the moment and get a good review of it and sort of talk about it in full detail. Uh, it is a port of a Wii U game, so I'm sorry, but you know, if if we do ever talk about it, it's going to be very late. Uh, it's just too close to too many major releases, including the new consoles and Age of Calamity at the end of the month. Uh, well, not even quite the end of the month, the twentieth, right? Yeah. So, without further ado, guys, I guess what we'll do is we'll just jump straight into the news. Mm-hmm. Woo-hoo!
1: Ah! Bika, bika! Is that all?
0: Oh, I hi. fight for my friends. Woo-hoo! My body is still. All right, guys. Apart from a little few things this week, uh, including a bit of a Nintendo Direct, from what I remember, uh, there has sort of just been a slow kick with a few announcements um a lot of them coming from uh third-party developers whether it be ubisoft or riot or whatever have you um if you caught the nintendo direct this week you'd know that there's some uh goodies that sort of hit the sh- hit the shelves on the eShop, like uh, no more heroes one and two which is fantastic Um, I've never played them. So it's a perfect opportunity for me to get out there and play those two before the third one comes out. Uh, obviously it's kind of a big deal. The third one, uh, being that one and two were held in pretty decent regard, even though, you know, they sort of had a, uh, I guess cult following, if anything, um, I'm very keen to play both of them and I intend to get around to them so hopefully we'll be talking about them on the show in a couple weeks time or whenever we get the time to actually play them uh, but for now let's just quickly talk about the current news so Splatoon 2's Halloween uh Halloween Splatfest happened this week uh it's uh obviously you know Splatfests are Neither here nor there uh, at the moment. Uh, they sort of turn up when whenever they choose to. Uh, there's no schedule for them, as per such. Uh, and with them comes no content updates or anything. But Splatfests are a really fantastic way to engage with the community, and the Halloween one has seemed to be no exception. So every News article, including this one, this week is going to be coming from my Nintendo News because it is probably my favourite news source out of the lot. So thank you, Sika, and the team there. Uh, anyway, Team Treat has won Splatoon 2's 2020 Halloween Splatfest. Splatoon Two's uh, Halloween 2020 Splatfest has come to a close after a weekend of Team Trick and Team Treat battling each other. A winner has been declared. Team Trick got more votes, but Team Trick managed to win more normal and pro matches, making them the winner of the Splatfest. And the results below put Trick at a 58.36 vote percentage, whereas Treat had 41.64. And then the difference between the normal and pro scores were minuscule, only by about 1% on the normal matches and 5% on the pro matches. So anybody that participated... Well done. You've won the Halloween Splatfest treat uh, and better luck next time, trickers. And of course, uh, Pearl was heading trick and Mariner was heading treat. So there you go. Mariner wins again. And next up this week, we have a little bit of a Dragon Dragon Quest uh, teaser that's sort of come out. Uh during an interview I believe uh, regarding what we can expect from the series in the coming future The acclaimed and beloved Dragon Quest franchise will be celebrating its 35th anniversary next year and Square Enix has been making pre- currently making preparations to celebrate it Dragon Quest creator Yuji Hori Yuji Horii was on hand at the Dragon Quest X Fall Festival 2020, where he teased that the company will be making all sorts of announcements in 2021. Here are his exact words from the event. Thank you very much for today. Next year, Dragon Quest will celebrate its 35th anniversary. I believe that we will be able to make all sorts of announcements in regards to that, and there is still a whole lot of fun to look forward to in Astaltia, which is the world of Dragon Quest X. Please continue to support Dragon Quest in the future. Thank you very much. So, obviously, it was made during uh, an MMO festival. So, that was interesting. Um, It does speak volumes, obviously, that next year there's going to be uh, a major anniversary. One that we've had for Mario this year, in fact. So, hopefully, uh, we'll see maybe some... I'm guessing some compilations of some older games... Uh, sort of come out, maybe a remake of some kind of one of the older ones, sort of, probably one of the better selling ones. I can't, I, I'm not a huge Dragon Quest fanatic, I like the games, but I'm not really sure what people's opinions are on uh, the older ones, um, but usually these things come in tandem with like some sort of uh, remake when they when it comes to Square Enix uh, and the company, the company's franchises in general. Uh, So, yeah, hopefully we'll see something really neat from Dragon Quest next year. Uh, The next story is something that caught my eye uh, personally because I've invested a lot of time in League of Legends. Um, And if you're not really interested in League of Legends, but you're interested in the characters and the potential story uh, avenues it has, which it has plenty, um, there was some exciting news from Riot Games this week. Uh, Ruined King, a League of Legends story coming to Nintendo Switch in 2021. So, the article reads, Development studio Airship Syndicate and publisher Riot Forge have recently announced that League of Legends spin-off title is heading to Nintendo Switch platform in 2021. Uh, Before I go on, um, it's important to note that Airship Syndicate are the people that made Darksiders Genesis. So, if you're a big fan of Darksiders Genesis... um, You might have some faith in the developer, and if you're interested in jumping in that, that's a good thing as well. Uh, The game is titled Ruined King, a League of Legends story, and is set to be a turn based role playing game. The two companies have released a beautiful cinematic trailer for the game, which you can view down below. Obviously, you can't on a podcast. Uh, More details about Ruined King, a League of Legends story, will be unveiled in December, including gameplay footage. So I watched the trailer, it was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it was fantastic, um, and I'm very keen to get more League of Legends lore, which, you know, um, I've just been reading for years, pretty much. There's, you know, always been cinematics and stuff they've released, but most of the lore is in the reading. So, it'd be good to have a more visual-onset representation of that lore. Um, and here's a description for the game as follows. The story is set in the two regions of Runeterra... Uh, is set in two regions of Runeterra, rather... Bilgewater, a port, the town that is home to a sea of monsters, dock gangs, and smugglers from across the known world, and the Shadow Isles, a land cursed with the deadly black mist which shrouds the island and corrupts those it comes in contact with. In order to defeat a common and mysterious enemy, players will likely form will form an unlikely party of beloved League of Legends champions, Misfortune, Alawi, Brom, Yasuo, Ari, and Pike. And it's really interesting that that was their selection. Uh, I can definitely tell that the last three Yasuo, Ari, and Pike are more of a popularity pick to help sell the game. If anything, uh, Brom. I'm not really sure why they put him in there, but the only the only champions that actually have tied lore to those places are Misfortune, Alowei, and Pike. So it's very interesting to see what happens. It was semi teased last champion release. That Yasuo and Ari were making their way somewhere uh, in, like, a little clip. So, obviously, this is where they've gone. And, um, yeah, it'd just be really interesting to see how this unfolds and how it ties to the Ruined King, which is a... Sort of semi background figure for what it's worth, uh, in the game has a na- has a blade named after him called Blade of the Rune King, obviously. Uh, so I would love to see where that goes. Um, it's a fan favorite item for a lot of champions, and having some sort of background knowledge that's really put into more context is going to be very interesting. Uh, now, for anybody that was looking forward to Immortals Phoenix Rising, I really hope you are. F- pretty much abundance with storage um simply because we have here immortals phoenix rising is 13.2 gigabytes on nintendo switch which isn't too bad realistically right it's not too bad at all um but if you are one of those people that has no access well small small amount of memory you've got a huge library of games obviously this is going to be a bit of a problem for you uh but here we go Ubisoft's upcoming colourful open-world adventure game, Immortal Phoenix Rising, has had its file size listed on Nintendo Switch eShop. If you're looking to acquire the digital edition from the eShop, you'll need an additional 13.2GB of free space on your Nintendo Switch system or SD card. Immortal Phoenix Rising launches on Nintendo Switch day and date with other platforms on Thursday 3rd of December, which is fantastic, by the way, because I know I'm a big sucker for open-world games, especially after Breath of the Wild, so... (laughs) This is definitely a pickup for me, but my uh, current situation is whether I pick it up on a new console, pick it up on the Switch, because I can see the benefits in both. I'm almost tempted to pick it up on the Series X when it does eventually pop into my hands, so hopefully uh, I can make my decision before then. (laughs) Uh, Lastly, we're going to talk about something Age of Calamity related before we push on into the actual discussion of the game. Hyrule Warriors, Age of Calamity demo, frame rate, and resolution analysis. So here we go. Take one look at your Nintendo Switch friends list, and it's almost guaranteed you'll see that most of the folks have tried out Hyrule Warriors, Age of Calamity demo. Which, yeah, they have. That released only a few days ago. If you played it yourself, you may have noticed the frame rate. Take a look on socials, and you'll see you're not alone in thinking the action can get a little choppy. And although the demo isn't necessarily necessarily representative of the final product, Fiji Tech on YouTube has recently uploaded a framerate test video for the demo. According to their analysis, the demo runs at about 20 to 30 FPS. Time will tell if we see a day one patch to improve it. Here are the details surrounding the resolution for both docked and handheld modes. Docked mode uses a dynamic resolution with the highest resolution found being 1440 by 810 and the lowest resolution found of being approximately 1013 by 570. Pixel counts at 1440 810 are common in the docked mode. Dock mode renders the UI at 1920x1080, which is interesting. Portable mode uses a dynamic resolution with the highest resolution found being 960 by 540 And the lowest resolution found being approximately 676 by 380 Pixel counts at 960 by 540 are common in portable mode. Portable mode renders the UI at 1280 by 720. And performance in portable mode is similar to dock mode. Dock mode has a longer draw distance and improved LODs compared to portable mode. So, very interesting stuff really, but a lot of people have been talking about this quite fervently, um, which just leads me to believe that a lot of people haven't played Muso games on Switch. Um, as somebody that has many of them, uh, not quite all of them, because I'm not that crazy, uh, I've got at least four Muso games, they all have very similar problems in that regard. They all run at very low FPS, and they sort of just do the job that they were meant to do in being a hack and slashy thing without too much attention. And here's the thing, um, this doesn't bother me too much as a Muso fan, bothers me as a Zelda fan. Uh, simply because, I guess, I guess, just playing Breath of the Wild and having like a, a sort of stable frame rate with not too much going on, and you know, all that, it, it's it's good and serene in its own way, and it's nice. But I know, I I knew coming into this that Age of Calamity was going to be a Muso game first and foremost. Um, I know I have a history. <laughs> with Musou games in general, uh, even though it's relatively recent that I've been playing them more. Um, and the collection that I own on Switch, they all have performance issues in some way. Uh, it is just... It is just Muso, And that is the thing. And it's, it's been excused for years. It's just because Zelda's got tacked onto it that people are suddenly now not too happy about it, which... I get it you know that's that's fair enough for what it's worth but at the same time they're you know huge games in terms of mob count and what you can do i've heard a lot of people complaining about the co-op uh for example but the co-op is split screen and it's sort of made so that one person could be w- at one end of the map and another person can be in another and that makes the switch chug uh, that's for fairly obvious reasons You can't really fix it and the only way you can do that is by downgrading the graphics even more. And to be completely honest with you, they're already sort of a downgrade as it is. It would be really depressing to see if they have to go back to like polygon levels of graphics just to hit 60 FPS like most people seem to want. Um, So, you know what? Uh, I'm not worried about this. If it does worry you at all, uh, I do recommend maybe you view other musou games that are sort of on nintendo switch not i don't necessarily mean purchase them um but just see how they run because trust me it's it's not as big of a deal as it actually seems it's just kind of a byproduct of being a game that's main target is having as many enemies on screen as possible on screen as possible to mow down it is unfortunately just that Now, that being said, uh, we'll call that the end of the news. Obviously, very quick, just wanted to get through it and talk about something else. Uh, There's not a lot of interest to me this week. Obviously, there might be some stuff there for you. Splatoon 2 was interesting. Rune King was interesting. Uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising is interesting, but it's just about the file size. Uh, And obviously, the main grab this week was the Age of Calamity Chapter 1. So, I want to start off by saying that... As happy as I am to have this chapter in my hands and play it and sort of, you know, work my way around it and get my early look at it before the 20th, um, it's it's almost a little disappointing, which is sad. Um, not in the gameplay aspects. The gameplay aspects is fine, um, and I'll talk a, a bit more about that, but I'm sort of just giving my overall view first. Um, it's It sort of more or less comes down to the story and... Uh, that's kind of what this game is made for, you know, it, it is made to tell like a huge part of Breath of the Wild's story. Um, and the way they've cut that down is a little harsh and I don't really like it in the first chapter. Uh, the gameplay is, you know, great, but the story's lacking and I I really hope they do fix it up a little bit. Uh, so we're just going to talk about the gameplay first. Because obviously, you know, a lot of people's questioning is, is am I going to get the same level of difficulty out of this as Breath of the Wild? Am I going to get the same kind of longevity? Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of people that have played, you know, 400 plus hours of Breath of the Wild with no fail. Uh, It's been out for three years, so it's not hard for people to sort of rack up that amount, especially when uh, you can restart and rediscover everything all over again a year later and sort of, you know, put that time into it. Um, and I have to say, you know, the problem is, is like, it is a Muso game. Yeah. First and foremost. Um, so if you are not into mindless hacking and slashing, you're definitely not going to be a fan. It's the same as the first Hyrule Warriors and Fire Emblem Warriors. If you've played it and you're exclusively a Nintendo fan, then you may have considered picking them up before. And if you weren't too interested in that, you're probably not going to be too interested in the combat of this one either. But I do want to give praise where praise is due in that they do make a, they do make a few really good decisions with this game. Um, the first one I feel is that they implemented the rune system extremely well. So as most people who have played the demo will know, every character can use runes. It is not a thing that is character exclusive to Zelda or anything like that um and then they have items and food as well which is a good way to sort of stock up and recover um so if you hold i believe it's left bumper you get access to rods and food uh rods can be obtained by killing wizros and then food is just sort of picked up or crafted as per normal and if you hold the right bumper it opens up the runes menu which is awesome um, now the, pro- the thing with Muso games regularly is that it's very much based on a basic attack into a strong attack combo, depending on how many basic attacks before you press into a strong attack will affect what that attack actually does. So it's very simple to sort of understand, uh, the combat system and what moves do what so that you can sort of manipulate the actual fights better themselves. For example, you know, uh, by pressing, uh, y twice and then X. Link will do a shield surf attack, which is really good for sort of just mowing up enemies. Uh, and then you've got some sort of proximity attacks as well with your strong attacks, which is uh, good for mowing. Well, for clearing a path around you, I suppose is probably more of an appropriate action for it. And that's you know that's awesome. Uh, it is it is the Muso game I know, and that's fantastic. But where it really comes in, I feel, is definitely probably uh, how runes are sort of implemented. So just like if you've played Hyrule Warriors 1, you'll know everything's got a struggle gauge where once you knock it down, you can perform a special attack and do extra damage to an enemy or more or less execute it depending on how low their health is. Um, So basically, they still have that gauge. But the way that they mix up combat in this game is they make runes extremely important to allowing you to break that down. So, if there's an enemy with a shield and they're about to do a shield bash attack or something, or um, there is a spinning moblin coming at you, you can use stasis to sort of break that up. Um, there's also Cryonis, so you can freeze enemies that have been standing in water, or you can use it as a platform so that you can use your paraglider to use a jumping attack. Um, there's a lot of unique ways to sort of implement those runes into making fights against, against, uh, I guess we'll call them captain captains the same way that we called them in other Musa games, uh, easier. So if you, watch an enemy while you're fighting them. You have a few options when you're into combat and that is very Breath of the Wild inspired, uh, down from dodging to flurry rush uh, to using rods to call, upon, to call upon the elements to sort of do whatever, whether it be electrocute or set things on fire or freeze them or what have you. Um, and then runes are used in the context of making uh, defences... Negligible. So, if an enemy's got a shield and you throw a bunch of bombs at them, you will break the shield and as a result, you will make them vulnerable. And being vulnerable, they take a lot more hits to their struggle gauge, which makes it easy to get them down to that one-hit execution or more powerful attack, depending on the enemy, and you can move on. Uh, the way that they've implemented this is really smart. And it does break up that monotony of the Muso combat a lot. And I'm very happy about that. Um, Muso combat does get very boring at times. And this is just another way to sort of uh, work you through multi, multi-enemy multi situations that are usually just broken down to a, you know, three-prong attack or whatever combo your favorite is. Um, So, tossing bombs can clear out large amounts of enemies and stuff as well, whatever have you. Um, Being applicable to all characters, it means that even if you're not used to a character, this thing is always going to be super universal and you're never going to struggle with it, which is fantastic. Um, And Link Link is sort of very basic without them. Uh, and he's kind of meant to be that way. Uh, he does have a few options that obviously a lot of characters don't have because all the characters have their own unique combat styles, but using runes is a super effective way to deal with enemies in combat. And I'm glad that there's sort of just not a tie in to sort of solve situations like, you know, get you up on a ledge or do this or break down a wall, which, you know, those are all things that are still implemented in the game anyway. But they are also extremely useful in combat situations. um so link again, as I said just before, is a very basic hero. He sort of gets in there with his sword, he does a few things he has a bow special attack and yeah, you know he he's kind of just what you'd expect link to be. it's not it's not too much of a uh, A move on from the norm, I guess. I don't know. I was looking for a word for it. It's not too much of a move on from the norm. Um, He sort of attacks with this sword. He has a bow special. uh, He uses runes. He's going to be the most familiar character to people who are sort of going into a Muso brand new, which is uh, fantastic. You know, that's exactly what Link needs to be in this situation, and he fits that just fine. Um, The two other playable characters, I'm going to talk about them briefly as well. Uh, One is Impa. So, I think Impa got a lot of hype for obvious reasons. Um, Obviously, we have not seen young Impa prior to this game. And she's always sort of been a staple in Zelda lore for very obvious reasons. She's always been Zelda's protector or, you know, sort of guardian in general. Um, In Hyrule Warriors, she had a great sword and she was badass and she was really fun to play. And I, I'm safe to say that she's pretty much the same here Except she goes for a different approach uh, So now she use uh, she uses uh, short swords Short, uh, I guess, sort of more dagger type blades um, But her whole central mechanic is using ninjutsu In comparison to what old Impa did in Hyrule Warriors um, So by hitting hitting a certain button your strong attack I believe it marks an enemy and if you kill that enemy you gain that mark and as you gain marks you also gain copies shadow clone copies of imper and you can use that to your advantage um they sort of stack up with her in a line and they all copy the attack that she does and it makes mowing down crowds of enemies super super easy um and it's it's really fun to play as her just simply because she's so I guess, unique in comparison to Link. It is a little bit confusing on how to work out her playstyle at first, but once you do, you know, it's it's pretty neat. Um, You'll execute different specials depending on how many of the signs you've collected as you've mowed down enemies. Um, But her her strongest asset in any forte, I suppose, is the ability to just run through enemies like a lawnmower, and that's, you know pretty much what you want in a musou game she's a very strong investment um if you wanted to make her your main damage dealer like in any party whatsoever she'd be a very valuable asset she's easily she can easily mow through bases quite well and it's definitely just a fun time playing as her um she's sort of geared more towards people that want a little bit more of a a a bit more of a mechanical understanding of a character which is cool um it's definitely a unique take on Impa as well. I feel like, historically, she's always been sort of like a stealthy, you know, obviously being a Sheikah, she's always been sort of a stealthy kind of character. Here, she's more more or less a magic-based character, and it's definitely fun to play as her. Um, and then the other playable character we had was Zelda, and... This is where things get a little bit uh, iffy because a lot of people sort of think, well, how does Zelda work? And <laughs> the funny thing is, guys, is that she pretty much just works exactly the same as you would expect her to. She uses runes, she uses the Sheikah Slate to do her attacks and such. Uh, her specials regard, like the the bomb and a whole group stasis and stuff like that as well. Um it does feel a little bit jarring having, uh, her using runes on top of also having the option of using runes. Um, but the way that you Zelda uses them are quite unique and kind of fun. Um, she is more of a ranged attacker as you would probably expect from sort of more of a sideline supporty character. Um, and it's, uh, i guess there's not really much to comment like you would pretty much expect exactly what it is it's basically her just flinging stuff around with the magnesis uh hitting people with cryonis and then using stasis from time to time to initiate an enemy cut down uh it's it's very strange um again using having having the options to use runes or runes but it works somehow and it is just fun to play, uh, which is, you know, perfect for what it needs to be. Uh, if it wasn't fun to play, you know, you wouldn't be playing it. It is a Muso game and they are very straightforward. Uh, anyway, so that being said, those are your three playable characters in the demo in Chapter 1. Um, it's, it's all fairly fluid. The combat itself is uh, quite quite what you'd expect um maybe a little bit jarring at first if you think you're going to have the exact breath of the wild experience but it it definitely does sort of treat the physics relatively the same and you know you'll you'll find you can there's boxes you can break there's a lot of items you can collect during the battle including the same things you've been doing in breath of the wild like the monster teeth and all that stuff what have you and it does, it does feel very Breath of the Wild. They just sort of handled by a different company. Um, guardians, uh, there's one guardian you have to face in the demo, and that whole section in is as, as a little bit tedious as it can be. Really does play up how uh, strong the guardians actually were, and sort of the unknown of facing them uh, because they sort of dug them up and use them for their own purposes but without, you know, actually combating one, uh, before it's, it was hard to sort of gauge how, how to defeat one. And there's a whole quest that's sort of dedicated into trying to run this guardian around and kill it in some way without, you know, anybody, anybody getting hurt. Um, it is a very cool little sequence and it does really show that the guardians were a strong force, in the past, especially since how meager you can make them in Breath of the Wild by the end of it, when you get as powerful as you do, um, it definitely helps sort of their image a hell of a lot more. Um, and I can't wait to see sort of how it goes forward and how Guardian battles are handled, whether they can actually sort of figure out things the way they are. Okay, so now that we've talked about the story. Uh, the story, the gameplay, <laughs> very briefly, um, because really, guys, it's, it's free. You might as well just go download it yourself. I'm not going to, you know, push onto it too much. That's sort of just your overall summary. Um, but this is the chapter one of the story, so I'm going to talk about it here. Uh, if you do not want spoilers, you're probably better off not listening past this point. But to be honest, there's not a hell of a lot to spoil, and you're really not missing much at all. And that's part of my disappointment in this. So, to be honest, if you want to be spoiler-free, sure, you can stop listening right about now and sort of skip more towards the end. Um, but you're not missing much. Uh, so, essentially, straight into it, what happens in the start of the game is that during the final moments of the war, b- before Link is cut down, uh, a little guardian gets knocked out of a box and awakens to zelda's sacred power once she releases it and little eggy bro is kind of confused but he knows what he must do because there is dark and gloom everywhere and he opens a portal a guardian attacks him he fails uh, to kill little eggy bro as he gets through the portal but he sends back uh, the guardian sends back some malice to the past in order to impede i guess i guess the timeline and push through the future a lot of people were sort of like at this detail they were like oh time travel again but to be completely honest with you i think it's not so much about the time travel as it is sort of just a way to introduce a character that's sort of going to remain important and sort of add to the impending doom um i love little eggy bro he's really cute And I think he's a fantastic addition to sort of just run around with his little flute head. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just love the little dude so much. But anyway, he ends up back in the past, just as Hyrule's going through another wave of attacks from Moblins, Pocoblins, Ganon's forces in general. And as you sort of fight throughout the battlefield and make your way, completing objectives, eventually you sort of turn up, uh, Link turns up at a small town and finds Little Leggy Bro. He's sort of knocked out, and then he hears a scream from the other side. Impa is being chased by a bunch of begoblins. Drops the Sheikah slate. Link catches it midair, and then goes to face the begoblins. Um, at that point, at that point in time, it activates activates the tower. Little Leggy Bro wakes up, and all the mob- moblins get knocked out. So from there they're starting to see a bit of a connection between the Sheikah Slate and Eggie Bro and they're sort of moving forward. Um, Impa doesn't really say too much. She kind of just says thanks and then they sort of move on. It's like, cool. Uh, But the way they sort of make it seem is that they don't know each other so a formal introduction almost seems kind of necessary at that point even though we know who she is and they kind of put the thing up on the screen that says Impa. It's kind of just like, hmm, it feels a little bit disconnected, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, they move on, complete the battlefield, and then uh, they meet up with Princess Zelda at the Hyrule Castle. When Link takes his Link takes his bow, and Imper meets back up with Zelda again, and then shows her the Sheikah Slate and Little, little Eggy Bro, which uh, immediately immediately becomes attached to Zelda, and that's kind of like cool uh but as well there's not a lot of conversation sort of going on there and it's sort of just like look at this Zelda it's like oh cool and then it moves into the next cut scene where she has a formal discussion with her partner and um with her partner with her father her partner's Impa um with her father and says that you know I'm taking this eggy bro with me and I'm going to go see Robbie and Pura And he goes, okay, but I'm appointing Link as your knight. And I expected more here, to be completely honest, because she's got such a disdain for him in the beginning, uh, in the first few memories in Breath of the Wild, where it's sort of just like, oh, I don't need this. Like, I don't need him here. He's just sort of getting in my way. Like, I I don't want to be followed around by a voiceless sheep. It's like, okay, but she doesn't really display that here. And they kind of just move on and head towards Robbie and Pura. And that's it. <laughs> they, have, they have the big battle with the Guardian there. And they're trying to figure out ways to damage it. And ways that they can sort of manipulate the situation to work to their advantage. And minimise casualties and whatnot. Uh, so you spend the time going around the battlefield and activating Guardians. Uh, that can laser it back until eventually it's weak enough to sort of just take on Solo. You have to run away from the Guardian the entire time. This part is awesome, to be completely honest with you, because it just shows, like, the Guardians are just are a destructive force, they still run around and target you with a laser, they're not quite as fast as they used to be, uh, but they do knock down base camps and fence posts and, you know, barriers and stuff like that just by being big boys, and that's, you know, sort of something that I was hoping and expecting, and that's awesome, and that's exactly what they need to be in this story. So fantastic on that point, um, but at the end of that, they're just like they're just kind of like, okay, cool. Uh, there's a bit of a sort of story continuity thing here here, which is a little bit confusing. Um, in that, the way that previous sources had presented it, they were actually at a testing area when this guardian encounter happened, and link jumped in with a pot lid at at the last second and saves zelda from a guardian beam that happens here for some reason and it's not with a pot lid it's just with a soldier's shield and he deflects it but the guardian doesn't die and they have to run away and do this thing and what have you so and the reason link was appointed as her knight was was because of that thing which is where you get a bit of bit bit of a disconnect again and that's a little bit confusing I don't know why that's changed or whether it's just like bad recounting or what have you, but it it's very much sort of just the same, whether, whether it's just, um, talking up Link as a hero and being like, oh, he did it with a pot lid. And, you know, that was sort of just how it was wrote in the history of it or what have you. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Um, if that is the case, then I guess, you know, sort of Bravo, well done. <clears throat> But she is appointed knight, uh, he is appointed knight to her before this even happens. So it's even a bit more confusing that that is the case. Um, he was appointed knight because of his bravery on the battlefield and his skill and all that. And that's cool. Um, but, yeah, for some reason it just doesn't fit very well. Anyway, past that, they get to the end of the Guardian encounter and they make their way to Akala Laboratory where uh, Robbie and Pura are, and I love these two as characters in the actual game, uh, and so seeing them in their younger form and sort of being pretty similar to what they are in Breath of the Wild for what it's worth, except younger and with more spunk, um, is very cool, and I quite like them here, um, but unfortunately, again, it suffers. It- they really don't tell- they really don't give them much of an interaction, which really hurts the characters. And whether that's, you know, going to change as the story goes on, you know, I don't know. But I, I really do hope that's the case. I, I don't like that they've... What what essentially seemed to happen is after this, after this by the way, that's pretty much it, right? They see Robbie and Pura. They, they talk about the, the mini-egg bro. They scan its memories to find that there's pictures from the future inside of, um, the Eggie Bros memories and they move on. They don't, they don't really interact. They don't talk. I was really expecting, um, Pura and Imper to have an interaction considering that they're siblings and, uh, they don't, they just don't. It's just, it just doesn't happen. They're kind of just like, oh, here's the info and then moves on and then you've got some little activities to do uh, and not much else. They, they show you the next four story plots, which is the, obviously the champions um, for chapter two, but chapter one ends at that point, And the only thing you can do after that is side content. Um. So back to what I was saying before, the summary, the summary of it is really, is that there's not, it feels like at least the first chapter was cut down to fit a demo length. And that does harm it a lot, because a lot of the storytelling happens when Link becomes Zelda's champion. It's super important to the whole overarching point of Breath of the Wild's uh, memory recollection quest. Like, it's the whole the whole point of it was to see those characters grow into what they are. But it's it's like Zelda feels absolutely nothing for Link here whatsoever no not even a negative thought she's she's kind of just like ah yes link is here to protect me i don't really care he's just another soldier let's move on there's no there's no similarity at all to what happened in the past with breath of the wild um where just about every memory was sort of an interaction between link and zelda sort of coming together and having different experiences with each other and her sort of growing into him and enjoying his company and what have you just none of it's there and it is it is a little bit depressing because as a game that is sort of solely made to storytell those interactions are extremely important and it does feel really flat and i'm really hoping that they do bring it back and that they flesh it out more and that this was just sort of like a demo a demo problem but the fact that they cut down the first chapter to fit into demo length um because this is this is where it's going you know this is the first chapter of the game there is no there is no extended version sort of coming out it feels cut and that's a little depressing only because of what I said before. You know, there is a huge relationship there that needs to be explored, and it is really cut short. Um, Impa does not have much of a voice apart from, hey Zelda, look, Hazel hey the look, Hazel hey the look. Um, granted, yeah, that's kind of the point of her character, is to sort of just be there for Zelda and support her where it's necessary. And it's, yeah, it's kind of drained. Um, so, I guess for here... I'm going to leave it at that because if I keep talking about it, like I'm sort of just going to keep going into lore and whatnot, and it's already been 43 minutes, 15 minutes longer than I wanted to be, almost, Um, essentially, I really, really hope that they pick this back up and give it more flavor text as the story goes on because right now it feels really shorthanded and... The like the plot doesn't rely on Eggy Bro too much, which is good. Like that, that was kind of important. But in in doing something like that, they've also, you know, made enough room to sort of like explore these relationships by having Eggy Bro just sort of be there and be like a plot a plot point to help drive the story. But they don't do anything with that spare time that they've created by not making him a central faction. Um. So, <clears throat> unfortunately, it does fall flat. And if if they don't sort of fix it out throughout the main game, the whole purpose of the game is sort of lost. It is a game that is meant to storytell. You're not really particularly here. I don't. I can't say many people are particularly there just for the Musou game. I think they're primarily there to see the stuff that they never got to see in Breath of the Wild because of the way that the story was told. Um... I'm, how, I'm holding hopes because obviously it's, um, a huge, a huge reason why people are buying this game and they knew that from the beginning that it was going to be very law driven and it was going to be very important to understanding what exactly happened in Breath of the Wild and I just, I just really do hope that it sort of comes back together. Anyway, guys, um, I think that's probably all I'm going to talk about it for now, um, I'm still really excited for the game, but as a Musou fan, you know, that's that's not too hard. I'm excited for Strikers as well, for example. Um, it's going to be a, a good game for what it's worth, but whether we get the same sort of lore and stuff that we want from it is questionable at this time. Um, I am enjoying the miniature stuff that goes around it, like the map development and sort of talking to you know traders and what they need and opening them up to buy more items and stuff like that it's a whole it's a whole feature that's not really highly explored in the demo it is kind of just there for their sake hopefully as time goes on its importance will sort of show throughout the game because it is sort of very I guess mm, very telling of like ...where Hyrule's headed. It's headed for war. It's, like, headed for a major-scale war. And the map of Hyrule, like, just everywhere in Hyrule... ...is looking for, you know, resources. And, you know... it's ...it's got little tidbits. Like, somebody wants to open up a sword training center... ...and you've got to provide resources and... ...resources and rupees and stuff for that. <clears throat> and Link learns off of that because he attends the classes. And just just the little stuff like it is nice but it is very short at this time they only give you a couple of little things to do um that'll be expanded and hopefully that will sort of just make things a little bit better um korok's back in the game hooray i don't really want to talk about them at all um and yeah i i feel like you know they tried to take as much as they could of breath of the wild to make it feel like it is still a part of that world but at the same time make it the 100 years before when the war happened and sort of making that the important point of like Hyrule is now gearing up for war rather than recovering from war. And that's, you know, perfect, but the story does need to tighten up. It's loose screws first before it sort of pushes too far ahead. And, you know, a lot of stuff gets left behind in the dust out of disappointment because it does, it does need to tell a story first and foremost. So, uh, Yeah, I guess that's my summary. Um, I really did want to talk about it with Drew this week, um, but unfortunately we're sort of just too busy, and being the person who would spend the amount of time I did on the demo, um, it was kind of just best for me to get on and talk about it, I suppose. Um, I I enjoyed it for what it's worth. Uh, I'm sure I'll probably talk about it a bit more with Drew next week, not in so much detail, sort of ask him uh, ask him what he enjoyed about it if he played much of it at all um and yeah we'll just see how we go anyway guys that's it for this week but i feel like i'm missing something it's really sort of getting to me uh i can't remember exactly what it was hi nintendo fans reggie here thank you for your never-ending support Whoa whoa, me whoa, 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 whoa. Cut the kingdom. music, cut the music. I'm sorry, Reggie. We have to keep you in there for another week. It's gonna be a fantastic, uh, fantastic holiday. Look, man, there's no need for the sarcasm, really, really. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna bring it back soon. I promise you, it'd be fine. I could lock you in a room. Give you just a little food and water for a week. Whoa, that's, uh, a, a bit aggressive. Look, I know that we keep you in there, mate, but we do give you food and water, and there's alcohol to drink, and there's plenty there. And uh, I promise you, you'll be back next week. Phenomenal. No, it, it look, I'm. It's okay, man. Oh, all right. Well, well. Now I feel terrible. <laughs> Goddamn. Okay. Well, uh, that's it, guys. Uh, thank you very much uh, for joining the House of Mario this week for episode one hundred and sixty-six. Uh, five star reviews and plugs and all that stuff. Um, because I forget these things, you know, <laughs> that's just how busy I've been. I haven't written myself a script. Um, so we've got plugs. We have, you can follow the show at the house of Mario on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Drew at IDruby, uh, on Twitter and I believe Twitch as well. And you can follow me at IV Revan on Twitter. Uh, if you would like to join our Discord community, there will be a link in the show notes. Please join, because we do have a lot of lovely people in there that love to make discussion. And it's just a fantastic time overall, which is, you know, exactly what you're looking for. Um, we also put this... put these. I'm going to mention this, because we don't really talk about it too much. Uh, we do put this show up on video form on YouTube from time to time. Um, It's not every week because unfortunately, you know, video time, video processing and all that, it, it, you know, it it all takes time. But when we do, we chuck the show up there. So if you want to go have a look at that, youtube.com forward slash idruby, And be sure to leave us a five-star review in your podcast player of choice, because you know what? That helps us out a lot, guys. And we really appreciate it a lot. Anyway, this week's Nintendo Jukebox is going to be A Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild Mix, the main theme, by Holder. I really like this one. I'm not sure if we've had it on the show before, but it's super awesome. And, uh, yeah, it, it's the perfect week to chuck something Zelda there, so here you go, and this is what you're listening to. Anyway, guys, the doors to episode 166 and the House of Mario are now closed. Closed.